0: Welcome everybody, it's Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime, featuring your host, Ricky Litwinkiewicz. Welcome back to another edition of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. I am your host, Ricky Litwinkowicz, and another great episode for you this week. Alex the Bear Man from Texas and Enzo Pontrelli give their commentary on a few of the different topics this week, but let's not sit around, let's not wait for the paint to dry, let's get back into action, getting into those great historical moments of our America's Pastime.
1: Play ball!
0: July 19, 1909. In the same game he pulls off the first unassisted triple killing in Major League history, Neil Ball records 9 putouts at shortstop, another big league first. In the Naps/Indians 6-1 win over Boston at Cleveland's League Park, the diminutive infielder's glove from that game will be enshrined in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. July 19, 1910, Cy Young wins his 500th game when the Naps, Indians, beat the Senators in 11 innings at American League Park, 5-4. During the 22-year Major League career, from 1890 to 1911, pitching for five different teams, the 40-year-old right-hander will compile 511 victories, 94 more than Walter Johnson, who is second on the all-time list.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, it is I, the Bear of Texas, and once again, I am so proud to be back to give you folks a little history lesson regarding the art of baseball. The year is 1910. Cy Young has just won his 500th career game when the Cleveland Indians, at the time known as the Cleveland Naps, beat the Washington Senators in 11 innings five to four. Let's take a little bit of time to talk about Cy Young. 22 years in the majors from 1890 to 1911 pitching for a total of five different teams. Cy Young would complete his career compiling a total of 511 wins which is 94 more than Walter Johnson who is second on the all-time list. Cy Young paved the way. He's more than a legend. Of course, when we think of Cy Young, there's a lot of things but to think about also, aside from the Cy Young Award. But folks, every time I think of Cy Young and everything he has done, sometimes I like to personally think to myself, what would baseball be today if there was never a Cy Young? Well, that's something that really has our heads scratching, isn't it? Cy Young was known for a particularly fast ball. Well, his pitching style did change. But he had exceptional control. For 19 consecutive years, he was the league's top 10 in innings pitched. He was a hell of a player. And quite frankly, no matter how many great pitchers there's been after this guy, there will never, ever be another Cy Young. July
0: 19, 1982, in front of 29,000 enthusiastic fans at Washington's RFK Stadium, the American League beats the National League in the first-ever old-timers all-star game. Warren Spawn gives up a leadoff homer over the shortened left field fence to 75-year-old Luke Appling, a Hall of Fame infielder who played his entire career with the White Sox.
3: Famer Luke Appling.
4: Keep to left field, way back there, home run, Luke Apling, 75 years old.
5: I told you when you were uh, talking about him at the start, you could still swing that bat 75 or nothing.
0: July 19th, 2001. Arizona Southpaw Randy Johnson sets a major league record for strikeouts by a reliever when he fans 16 batters, completing last night's suspended game stopped in the top of the third inning. The big unit gets the victory in the Diamondbacks' 3-0 victory over San Diego in the Qualcomm Stadium Contest.
5: The 3-2 pitch. Johnson into the windup, Davis waits the delivery, struck him out, and at the end of the ballgame, a strikeout number 16, and what a job by Randy Johnson. Well, give uh, manager Bob Brantley credit. He said, I want him out there because I got a team up there with all those left-hand batters. I can win with this guy, and we got to win because he leads the Dodgers by only two. Amazing.
0: July 20th, 1926. A's outfielder, Al Simmons, establishes an American League record by playing in 394 consecutive games to start a career. Hideki Matsui will start in 518 consecutive games after signing as a Japanese free agent with the Yankees and will surpass the Hall of Famer's mark in 2005. July 20th, 1944. Browns hurler Nels Potter is banned for 10 days becoming the first pitcher ever to be suspended for throwing a spitball in the team's 73 victory over the Yankees at Sportsman's Park. The spitball, shine ball and emery ball were outlawed by Major League's Joint Rules Committee in 1920, which allowed the 17 pitchers using the doctored pitches at the time to keep throwing the banned pitchers legally until they retired. July 20th, 2006, in a 26-inning New York Penn League game, which takes six hours and 40 minutes to complete at Keyspan Park in Coney Island, the Oneonta Tigers outlast the hometown Brooklyn Cyclones six to one. Mark Wright, a reserve outfielder, is the losing pitcher in the third longest game by innings in professional baseball history.
1: Cesenso Pontrelli, a contributor for Horse Hide to in America's Pastime. July 20th, 2006, 26 innings. Brooklyn and Onayanta played the longest game in league history, 26 innings. On Thursday, with the Cyclones eventually losing 6 1 in 6 hours and 40 minutes, the Tigers finally played a run in the top of the 26th when after the Brooklyn pitching staff had been depleted. Outfielder Mark Wright was called into duty on the mound. The outfield tossed a scoreless 25th inning before finally allowing five runs to be earned in the final 26th frame. 9,004 fans attended the game, which was a kids' camp day that started at noon. Nearly seven hours later, almost 200 fans stayed to the very end. Cyclones manager George Greer was forced to watch almost the entire game from the clubhouse as he was ejected in the bottom of the first inning after arguing a forced play at second base. Brooklyn starter Eric Brown made his second start of the season for the Cyclones and tossed seven strong innings while allowing only five hits and a run. Earlier the season, Brown started a game for Hagerstown, single A of the South Atlantic League that went 22 innings. Both bullpens matched the intensity of the starters. After Brown, Joe Smith, two innings, Jeremy Mizzell, two, Jonathan Castillo, five, Rick Warren, four, and Grady Henchman, two, threw scoreless innings. Onionta's bullpen gave Brooklyn multiple base runners and opportunities, but their eight pitchers all tossed scoreless innings as Random Beard, 1 0, got the win. After throwing the last two innings, I'm Patrilli, contributor for Horsehide to Cowhide America's Pastime.
0: July twenty first, nineteen forty seven, Frankie Frisch, three sixteen average, becomes the first switch hitter introduced into the Hall of Fame. Carl Hubble, Mickey Cochran, and Lefty Grove joined the Fordham Flash as the newest members enshrined at Cooperstown. July twenty first, 1961. With back-to-back homers in the top of the first at Fenway Park, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris continue their assault on Babe Ruth's single-season home run record. The game's decisive hit, however, is a pinch-hit grand slam by Johnny Blanchard with two out in the ninth inning, which propels the Bronx Bombers past the Red Sox, 11-8. July 21st, 1988. The Yankees trade Jay Buhner, minor league prospect Rich Balaban, and a player to be named later, Troy Evers, to the Mariners in exchange for 33-year-old Ken Phelps. The one-sided deal will be immortalized on Seinfeld, by Frank Costanza's dad, George, when he laments the Bronx Bombers' poor judgment. How could you have traded Buhner for Ken Phelps?
1: I can't believe it. He was so young. How could this have
4: happened? Well, he'd been logging some pretty heavy hours. First one in in the morning, last one to leave at night. That kid was a human dynamo.
1: Are you sure you're talking about George?
4: (laughs) You are, Mr. and Mrs. Costanza.
1: What the hell did you trade J.P. in for? <laughs> he had 30
0: home runs and over 100 R.B.I.s last year. He's got a rocket for an arm.
6: You don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs>
4: well, he you know, was a good prospect, no question about it. But my baseball people love Ken Phelps' bat. They kept saying Ken Phelps, Ken Phelps. I'm
6: not here. I leave a message. Jerry, it's Frankenstein. So Mr. Steinbrenner's here. George is dead. Call me back. <laughs>
0: July 22, 1923 At Cleveland's Dunn Field, Walter Johnson fans the Tribe's Stan Kolvesky to become the first pitcher in Major League history to strike out 3,000 batters. The Senators legend, Milestone, will not be reached again until Cardinals right-hander Bob Gibson accomplishes his defeat in 1974. July 22, 1966 The Mets' left fielder learns he is a new dad when the Dodger Stadium scoreboard relays the message, Congratulations, Ron Swoboda. Your new son is born tomorrow morning. Celia Swoboda gave birth to Chipper, the couple's first child, at 12.02 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, making it the next day on the West Coast. July 22, 1986. Due to a series of maneuvers by Mets manager Davey Johnson and the late-game ejections of Darryl Strawberry, Ray Knight, Kevin Mitchell, the latter two result of a bench-clearing brawl precipitated by Knight when he decks pinch runner Eric Davis at third base. The team runs out of position players. The shortage of regulars leads to some interesting juggling by New York skipper when Gary Carter plays third base. And a pair of relievers shift between the mound and a corner outfield position with righty roger mcdowell playing left field when jesse orozco pitches to lefties and the southpaw hurler moving to right field when mcdowell comes in from the outfield to face right-handed hitters with mookie wilson moving from corner to corner as needed
4: that's had a chance to go out in front the top of this tenth inning couldn't do it A piece of the Mets third baseman and Bruce Kim is right there to try
5: and stop Eric Davis. Boy, they're still going at it.
4: That's Kevin Mitchell at the bottom of that. John pile. Denny's right on top of him. And there's another guy you don't want to fool around with. Denny is a karate expert. Boy, he is really. This is Bill Gullickson. Gary Carter trying to calm Denny down. Contact between Ray Knight and Eric Davis. Eric trying to stay on the base. Look at the area
5: around third base. It looks like a hockey match. Like they dropped their gloves, everybody dropped their hats and their gloves and just went at it. And there you see it, it looks like we're on the ice. And look
4: at you got a quick shot of Eric Davis and Tommy Helms. And Tommy, a pretty good battler in his day, has Davis completely removed from the scene of the action. Watch Davis, here's where it started. He breaks for third. He easily beats the throw by Gary Carter. Now watch the contact.
5: The elbow, the shove from Knight, and here comes the right cross. Bingo. Boom. That was a direct hit. And Knight's getting rid of the glove, the baseball, and he wants that, Eric Davis. Meantime, there comes Eddie Milner. And finally Gary Carter gives it to Eric Davis for the tumble. And
4: everybody comes piling out of the Reds' dugout. I believe you're right. Eric Davis has been pitched out and Ray Knight is slowly going back to the dugout. He has also been thrown out. Well, I'll tell you what, there wasn't any fooling around in this one. Many times you see baseball fights where they're all just standing out there and squaring off with an imaginary line in the middle, but not this time.
0: July twenty second, two 2002 Over 20,000 Red Sox fans gather at Fenway Park for a tribute entitled Ted Williams, A Celebration of an American Hero The two-hour salute of many men considered to be the greatest hitter in baseball history a vet of World War II and the Korean War and a generous supporter of the Jimmy Fund In addition to moving music and video includes comments from present and former Red Sox players and broadcasters, historian Ken Burns, and former U.S. Senator John Glenn, who was Ted's wingman during the Korean War.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you please rise. today the people of New England and baseball fans throughout America and the world have lost a man who was the definition of a modern-day hero the great Ted Williams passed away this morning
3: his goal was always to walk down the street and have people say there goes the best damn hitter who ever lived
5: that bat has been so uh, so studied so written about so mythologized that it's hard to know what was real and what wasn't real one out
4: nobody on last of the eighth inning jack fisher into his wind up here's the pitch william swings and there's a long drive to deep right
7: Nobody else could do that. Just say, I'm going to hit a home on my last at-bat. July 23rd,
0: 1939. Using yellow-dyed balls, the Cardinals beat the Dodgers 5-2 at Sportsman Park. The experimenting with the use of the colored sphere, which is designed to make the ball easier to see for the players and the fans, started in Brooklyn last week and will be tested once more in a September game at Rigby Field. July 23, 1962. Jackie Robinson becomes the first black player introduced into the Hall of Fame. Joining the Dodger infielder in the Cooperstown ceremony are fireballer Bob Feller, veteran manager Bill McKenney,
3: and outfielder
0: Ed Roush.
3: Thank you very much, Mr. Frick. First let me say how much of a thrill it is to be coming into the Hall of Fame with Bob Feller, Mr. McKechnie, and Mr. Rouse. I want to also let you know that I feel quite inadequate here this afternoon, or this morning, but I think a lot of this has been eliminated because today it seems that everything is complete. First of all, I want you to know that this honor that was brought upon me here could not have happened without the great work and the advice and guidance that I've had from three of the most wonderful people that I know. And if either of them weren't here today, I know that this day could not be complete. But they're all here, and I just hope you don't mind if I just pay a, a word of thanks and a tribute to my advisor and a wonderful friend, a man who I considered a father, Mr. Branch Ricky. And my mother, who taught me so much of the important things early in life, I appreciate no end. My mother, Mrs. Robinson. And, and, and lastly, ladies and gentlemen, my wife, who has been such a wonderful inspiration to me and the person who has guided and advised me throughout our entire marriage. I, I couldn't have been here today without her help. And then I, in sitting down, I must thank the baseball writers. I never thought at all that I would have this wonderful honor coming to me so early in my lifetime, and to have the writers to elect me on the first time is a thrill that I shall never forget. We have been up in cloud nine since the election. I don't ever think I'll come down. But I want to thank all of the people throughout this country who were just so wonderful during those trying days. I appreciate it no end. It's the greatest honor any person could have. And I only hope that I'll be able to live up to this tremendously fine honor. It's, it's something that I think those of us who are fortunate again must use in order to help others, because it's such a tremendous honor that we should be able to go out and do things to help. I'm just grateful and I'm sorry it's taken so long, but I just wanted you to know I appreciate it so much. Thank you.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, I am back. This is the Bear of Texas, and it's time for another little history lesson in the art of baseball. The year is 1962. Jackie Robinson has just become the first African-American baseball player to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. This is definitely just another history-making moment. Defies history as well. Let's go back in time to opening day of 1947. The moment that Jackie Robinson stepped up to the plate for the first time becoming the first African-American man to have an at-bat in Major League Baseball. He had already broken the color barrier. And many more brilliant things were but were, were to be made. Let's keep in mind, folks, this was not easy for Robinson. The racism from opposing baseball players, from supporters, and hell, even the racial te- the racial abuse from his own teammates. Let's remember that his teammates they did not want to play with him. If y'all know the history as well, you'll notice that players, his teammates, even started a petition saying they would not take the field alongside Jackie Robinson. But what's so amazing, and I knew this before I saw the movie 42 which came out in 2013 that stars Chadwick Bozeman as Jackie Robinson, there was one player who never had a problem playing alongside Jackie Robinson and that would be Pee Wee Reese, the team's shortstop. A very amazing thing to see. Despite all the tensions, that guy had no problem playing with Jackie Robinson because just like everybody else on the team, Pee Wee just wanted to play baseball. Making a living doing what he loves best, just play baseball. And from four, for 1947, Jackie Robinson was the rookie of the year. The Dodgers were good at the World Series, although they would lose to the New York Yankees. But going into 1955, the Dodgers would go on to win the World Series and Jackie Robinson was still on the team. Robinson would break many records, and to say that he made an impact in the sport of baseball, well folks, that's just an understatement.
0: July 23rd, 2000. The Big Red Machine rolls into Cooperstown. Delivering first baseman Tony Perez, manager Sparky Anderson, and Reds announcer Marty Brenneman into the Baseball Hall of Fame, along with 1975 Red Sox World Series rival Carlton Fisk. Also enshrined are 19th century Cincinnati second baseman, Bid McPhee and Negro League star, Turkey Stearns. July 24th, 1948. Six days after hitting four home runs in one game, White Sox outfielder Pat Seary again makes the record book, becoming the first major leaguer to strike out seven times in a doubleheader. July 24th, 1956. Under cloudy skies, former first baseman slash outfielder Hank Greenberg and infielder Joe Cronin, currently serving as general managers for the Tigers and Red Sox respectfully, are inducted into the Hall of Fame as more than 8,500 fans witnessed the impressive ceremony. The former Detroit slugger becomes the first Jewish player to be enshrined in Cooperstown. July 24, 1961, a home run derby featuring Bronx Bombers Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, and Orlando Cepeda plan to take place before tonight's exhibition game, before the two teams is postponed due to the inclement conditions at Yankee Stadium. Mickey Mantle will be the only scheduled participate to Homer in the actual contest. When his second inning round tripper a 450-foot blast off of Bob Bowen that lands in the bleachers accounts for New York's only run. July 25th 1890. In his last minor league appearance, 23-year-old Cy Young strikes out 18 batters en route to tossing a no-hitter in a tri-state contest against McKeesport, Pennsylvania. The right-hander will amass a 511 victory record during his 22-year Hall of Fame career. July 25, 1931. Lefty Grove, going the distance, wins his 20th game of the season when the A's beat Cleveland at Shy Park 6 to 3. The Philadelphia Southpaw, who improves his record to 20 and 2, is the second quickest player to reach the milestone, with Rube Marquard, the Giants, July 19, 1912, being the only hurler to have accomplished the feat earlier in a season. July 25th, 1966, Red Sox outfielder Ted Williams in his first year of eligibility and skipper Casey Stengel, selected by the Veterans Committee, are enshrined in the Hall of Fame. During his induction speech, the Splendid Splinter makes a strong appeal for the inclusion of Negro League stars at Cooperstown.
7: Today, I'm thinking of a lot of things. I'm thinking of my old playground director in San Diego, California, Rodney Luscombe. My old high school coach, Wask Caldwell. My
2: My managers,
7: who had such patience patience with me and helped me so much. Fellows like Frank Schellenbach, my first manager in San Diego in 1936. Tony Bush, who was my manager after the Red Sox, bought me and farmed me out to Minneapolis. Joe Cronin, who I can't say enough wonderful things about, and he knows, and I know how important he was to me. I'm thinking of Tom Yawkey, and I've always said it, and I'd like to repeat it again today, that to me, Tom is the greatest owner in baseball. And I was lucky to have played on the club he owned, and I'm grateful here for his being here today. But I'm not, I'd i not be lovely if I'd have left it at that because ball players are not born great. They're not born hitters or pitchers or managers, and luck isn't the key factor. No one has come up for a substitute for hard work. I've never met a great baseball player who didn't have to work harder at learning to play baseball than anything else he ever did. To me, it was the greatest fun I ever had, which probably explains why today I feel both humility and pride, because God let me play the game and to learn to be good at it. I'm proud because i spent most of my life in the company of so many wonderful people. There are plaques dedicated to baseball men of all generations, and I'm privileged to join them. Baseball gives every American boy a chance to excel, not just to be as good as someone else, but to be better than someone else. This is the nature of man and the name of the game, and I've always been a very lucky guy to have worn a baseball uniform, to have struck out or to hit a tape measure home run and I hope that someday the names of Satchel Page and Josh Gibson in some way can be added as a symbol for the great Negro players that are not here only because they were not given a chance. I, I know Casey Sting will feel the same way I'm glad, and, and I'm awfully glad to be with him on his big day. <coughs> I also know I'll lose a dear friend if I don't stop talking,
1: as I know I'm
7: eating into his time. <laughs> and, uh, that is <laughs> and that is unforgivable. So in closing, I'm grateful. And I know how lucky I was to have been born in America and had a chance to play the game I loved, the greatest game of them all, baseball.
0: July 25th, 1990. Between games of a twin bill against Cincinnati on Working Women's Night at Jack Murphy Stadium, Roseanne Barr, the star of the hit television show whose executive producer is Padres owner Tom Werner, sings an irrelevant rendition of the star-spangled banner that will be widely criticized, including a remark by President George H.W. Bush, who calls her performance disgraceful. The comedian, known for her biting sarcasm, spits and grabs her crotch as if dusting a protective cup after singing the national anthem in a loud and off-tune screechy manner. July 25th, 1998, the Yankees dedicate a plaque in the memory of Mel Allen, who died of a heart failure at the age of 83 in 1996. The Monument Park Tablet calls their longtime play-by-play announcer, a Yankee institution, a national treasure, and includes his signature line, how about that? Two to
6: nothing Baltimore, third inning. Two outs, nobody on, and this is what the people have come to see. Foul ball, curved him in on the handle. is there, and it is, number 60. (laughs) How about that? They are standing ovation. ovation for Roger Maris, who's got number 60. And they're calling him out of the dugout. This is most unusual. They are asking him to come out of the dugout. Now this is something. They are standing and asking Roger to come out. Come out, Roger. How about that? Come out of there. There he is. Born Melvin Israel Jefferson County native Mel Allen delivered radio play-by-play for the New York Yankees for 25 years at the height of the team's success and was one of the most recognizable voices in sports casting for six decades he began his career in 1935 broadcasting Alabama and Auburn football games as the voice of the Yankees Mel's game-calling style was a model for present-day baseball announcers with phrases like how about that and going going gone becoming part of the sports lexicon. In 1977, he was introduced to a new generation of baseball fans as the host of This Week in Baseball. Throughout his life, Mel Allen embraced his Alabama heritage, returning to the state frequently. He always credited his early experiences in broadcasting in Alabama for his subsequent success as one of sports broadcasting's most influential announcers.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. We thank Alex and Enzo for their contributions to the show this week. All footage this week is used under the Fair Usage Act, including Major League Baseball, WNBC Studios, WPIX-TV, and more. Tune in next week for another edition of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. See you next week.